It's nice in church today. The music is nice. You look nice. You sound good. But it's pretty ugly outside here. Sitting in the house last week and one of the kids came home and said, Dad, on the corner of Eureka and Allen, where I stopped to get gas, there was a large amount of blood on the ground. Fresh blood, he said. I went in and I said, what happened? Gas station said, the police are on the way. A man was here and another guy came up and attacked him with a hammer and he wrestled the hammer away and attacked him and that's his blood. I told that story to the ladies in the office. They said, just today... Up, uh, this was the day I was speaking about a few days ago. Up Telegraph, a woman was, was out walking. A fellow tried to pull her into, a, into his van. I was in, a, in the mountains of Kentucky last week, I mentioned, and I saw a young girl there reading. I love reading. I love books. I'm interested in that. She was reading a big, thick book. I said, what are you reading? She said, she's a, about a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl. She said, I'm reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, you should, you should gasp in horror when you hear a, about anybody reading this book, especially a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl, a perverse book. I haven't read a word of it, don't need to. I read enough about it to know that it's, just a, it's not the way the world ought to be. 17-year-old girls shouldn't be reading filthy, vile, perverse pornography. People shouldn't be attacked on the streets of their hometown. People shouldn't have to walk over blood in order to buy gasoline. The world's not the way it ought to be. Jesus, when he was on earth, he would always be casting vision to his followers about what the kingdom was supposed to be like, what the world was supposed to look like. And one of the most beautiful ways that Jesus did this, he did this with hardcore teaching and confrontation, but one of the most beautiful ways that Jesus did this is in telling stories. And he, here's a story he told to his disciples. Here's what he said. He said, here's what the kingdom is supposed to be like. Kingdom. Where I'm in charge, where I rule, kingdom. Here's what the kingdom is supposed to be like. Here's the story that he told. Here's what the kingdom is supposed to be like. Once there was a man who had this huge, huge debt. He owed so much money, no human being could ever repay this much money. He owed so much money, it was more than the annual that they would gather in the taxes in the all of Palestine, in the annual gathering of taxes. This is how much money he owed. And the king decided that he wanted to gather his taxes, so he sent an attendant out and said to this man, you need to pay everything that you owe. And if you don't pay everything that you owe right now, you are going to go to jail and your wife and your children are going to be sold as slaves to satisfy the debt that you owe. So the man, when he heard this, he was just desperate. So he went to the king and he fell down and he pleaded, please give me time, give me a payment plan. If you give me a payment plan, I'll pay back every dime that I owe you. Please don't, please don't throw me in jail. Please don't throw my wife and children. Don't sell them into slavery. I will pay you every penny that I owe you. This is the story that Jesus told. And then Jesus said, so the king had compassion on him. The king had mercy on him. It's the same word that is often used in Matthew about the reaction that Jesus always had when he saw groups of people. He had this boiling up of compassion that came out of his guts. The king had compassion. And you know what he did? He did not answer his request. His request was, give me time. Give me a payment plan. The king says, I tell you what I'm going to do. Even though you didn't ask, I'm going to forgive all of your debt. I'm going to forgive all of your debt. And so the king forgave all of his debt and the man went free. This is the story that Jesus told. Do you like the story? I do too. Why do you like that story? Who are you in that story? 
You ever notice when you hear a story, you usually put yourself in the story somewhere. Are you the king? No. No, you're not. You're not the king. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? I'm going to forgive you of all of your debts. I would like to be the king. That would be fun. People would do what I say. I would have a clean basement. (laughs) Heads would roll if the basement was not clean, and I would not be cleaning it myself. I would just say, the basement will be clean. The king has spoken. (laughs) Church would go to 1230 every week. It would just be that way if I was the king. Good thing you're not the king, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, but you're not the king in the story, are you? Who are you in the story? You're the poor slob that owes all that money. All of us, when we read that story, we're the poor slob who owes all the money. Am I right? You're not the lady that's going to get sold into slavery. You're not the kids. You're the person. Why is that? Because you're probably a Christian. Not everybody's a Christian here today, but probably... Christian people love this story. Their hearts just resonate with this. They go right. They see Calvary. They see Jesus. They see the cross. They see His mercy. They see His forgiveness. They see His patience. They see His long-suffering. Jesus is written all over this. Calvary is written all over that story. We love that story. We love Jesus because He's merciful. We love Jesus because He didn't give us a payment plan. He remitted all of our debt. We love to sing about that. Most of our songs are about that. Let's read this in the Bible. Matthew 18 and verse verse, uh, 23. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he... But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. So that's like, Jesus would often tell clusters of stories to make a point. He would lay one story against another. So he would tell this story, and he would just let that story sit there, just like it has with us. Don't you just love that story? Don't you just see yourself in that story? This is the story that sets the stage for the next story. So there was, that was like scene number one, if you will. And scene number one, you see this in three scenes, is how much we are forgiven. We'll get to it, but you'll see this. How much we're forgiven. How much we're forgiven. Insurmountable debt. We couldn't pay the interest and penalties on it, let alone the debt. The payment plan would have done us no good. How sinful, how much sin did we have? So much we could never repay it. And so we were forgiven. That's uh, scene Number one, here's what the Bible says it, 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 about God, about his character, about his nature. In Romans 2, I like this. Do you despise the riches, listen to these words, of the goodness and the forbearance and the long-suffering of God? That's what he's like. He's the most patient being in the universe. The most long-suffering, most just and holy, but most patient and long-suffering. Aren't you glad that's true? Uh, goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads us to repentance. 
Here, here's another verse. In 2 Peter, a couple of verses, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us. That's the amen part. I'm going to back up so you can get it in there. Yeah, right. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How much we are forgiven. That's scene number one. There's another scene, and scene number two. And, 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 and this is, we see this when we realize what made Jesus tell this story. I would just give you a secret about Bible study when you get to narrative, and especially when Jesus is telling a story. I want to be a master of all the stories that Jesus told. That's one of my goals in life, to understand the stories of Jesus Jesus um, would, would almost always, his stories were with a purpose. Almost always the story is a direct response to a situation or a question that's asked. Okay? So there's a question that gets asked here. And you understand the story. You know, what you can do with the story is you can make the story mean anything you want it to make, to make it mean. Or a whole bunch of things. And some people are really good at that. They're, the eyeballs mean this. And the feet mean this. And, you know, and you're like, no, it, uh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. When you, you don't want to do that to Jesus' story. Here's how you can decide what Jesus' story meant. How does it answer the question that was asked? Or how does it speak to the circumstance in which he tells the story. So what's the question that was asked, and what's the circumstance? The circumstance here is he's told his disciples not to bicker like little kids, but to, but to be humble like little kids are. Don't argue and bicker among each other. That's not right. People are going to be offended, and then it would be better for you if you had a stone hung around your neck and you were drowned in the sea. He was pretty serious about that. He says to his disciples, I don't want this going on. And if somebody offends you, if they hurt you, I want you to go to them between you and them alone, and maybe you'll gain your brother. And if not, go get help. And if not, this is so serious that I want my followers to come together as a group and make sure that there aren't people who say they're Christians, but they don't act Christian. You make sure it's that way. So this was serious. So Peter goes, so you're saying to me, Peter's the guy who asked the question, basically in his mind he's thinking so you're saying to me that when somebody asks me to forgive them i have to forgive them and you know he's jesus is always doing more than the pharisees right the pharisees would do this and this is a pattern jesus was always saying i expect more of you than the and they expected a lot because jesus demands were impossible what jesus was doing was he was fixing it so that you would have to have a miracle to obey him right the the, the pharisees were like if you get on our program you know, any human being could do our program. If not, we'll, we'll give you the beat down, you know. But Jesus was like, no, it's going to be worse than that. It's going to be impossible. And they're like, no, what am I going to do? And he goes, you're going to have to have my help. And that's the story of grace. See what I mean? So, so the picture of the, of the, of the debt forgiven isn't a, a payment program. The Pharisees had a payment program. Here are the rules that you keep, and uh, we will see to it that you do that, and this is where you give the money, and, this is what, and you're never going to It's a payment program. It's religion. Not good, right? You, you folks, let me just tell you this. You don't want that. You do not want, amen? You don't want that. Am I right? Anybody here want to be on a payment program with God? No, thank you. That's good. You're well-taught people. Don't put me on the payment plan. Put me on the mercy plan. Put me on the forgiveness plan. Put me on the Jesus died for all my sins. My sin will the bliss of the story's thought plan. That's the plan I want to be on. Yes, that's the one you want to be on. So the Pharisees are like, this is the plan. Jesus says, no, it's impossible. You have to have my help. And so then he, he, gives, he gives his help to us. Now, I want you to see the, the second story, how, the, how this goes with the first story. After the guy is forgiven all of this debt against him, what's the first thing that he does? 
You would think that he would go home to his family and say, you are not going to believe this, but you're not going to have to be slaves now because I don't owe anything anymore. There's no, there's no imprisonment like debt. Imagine that your debt is completely gone. Some of you, how would you like your debt to be lifted today? You don't owe on your house. You don't owe on your... We have, that, we have a plan for this called the Financial Peace University. You might want to sign up. You don't owe on your house. You don't owe on your car. You don't owe anything. You don't owe any man. Wouldn't it be awesome? But this is not what it's talking about money. It's talking about sin and guilt and shame and, and the past and stuff that you can't make up for. Jesus says, I... God said, I sent my son Jesus to die for your sin. You want in on that mercy plan. That's called getting saved, being a Christian, right? You're in on the mercy plan. Then you're forever singing about it. Now, this guy, instead of getting released from his debt and going out and having a big party and inviting all of his friends and having a forgiveness party, like, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I'm going to forgive you too. He finds a guy who owes him money and he starts physically choking him. He violently choking this guy. He says, pay me all that you owe right now. Is there anything wrong with this picture? Yeah, this is what Jesus does. He tells a story over here, and this is what it's supposed to look like. Then he tells another story, and you go, What? Are you kidding me? And the debt that he owed was a small debt. The debt that he owed was a big debt. The debt was owed to him was a small debt. He's choking the guy. Pay me all that you owe right now. What happens then? People see this, and they go back to the king or back to the master, and they say, Did you hear what he did? Let's just read this. Peter asked the question, how many times do we have to forgive? Like seven, which would be way more than the Pharisees had said in extra-biblical literature. The Pharisees asked for at least three. Peter knows Jesus is like, always want to do more than the Pharisees. So he says, Peter's like, how many times do we have to do this? Seven. Jesus, maybe as many as 490, he's like seven, 70 and seven, or perhaps even 70 times seven. Lots. Jesus basically answers him an indefinite number of times. You just keep forgiving and keep forgiving. Like the answer is kind of like, How often do you want me to forgive you? How much have I forgiven you? That's how much I want you to forgive them. And here's how the story goes it starts in verse 28. It started, of course, with Peter's question was in verse 21 Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said, I do not say to you, up to seven times but up to 70 times 7, some transcripts, manuscripts say. Verse 28. But that, here's the second, so, so this is the story that Jesus is getting to. He uses the first story to set it up. Like, this is what my kingdom is supposed to look like. We forgive people large debts, we continue to do that. Here's the second story, and the second story is like, ooh, blood on the ground. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. He took him by the throat. He said, pay me all that you owe me. Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, this sounds a lot like what he said, right? Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He would not, but he went and threw him in prison until he could pay the debt. So his fellow servants saw what he had done. They were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Verse 33 is the message in a nutshell. 
Like the pastor says, get this in your head and you will have it in a nutshell. Verse 33, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I did you? Shouldn't you have treated him like I treated you? That's what he says. This is the, this is the powerful kind of question that he, Jesus uses. This uh, not willing to forgive other people thing is very natural, very like us. It's very much like us, but it's very ugly. It's an ugly part of the way most of us are wired. It's just ugly, right? You hear about the guy who was, got a rabies, got a bite, an animal bite or something, he got rabies, he didn't get it treated quickly enough, so he goes to the doctor and she says to him, you are going to die. You're just going to die. You might as well get your affairs together. And she leaves and she comes back to him and she says to him, he's writing feverishly on a piece of paper. And she says, are you writing your will? He says, no, I'm making a list of the people I'm going to bite before I die. It's ugly. It's just ugly. Heinrich, I don't know who Heinrich Hein is, but I, I stumbled across this quote from his biography. And i got to tell you, there are days I think like this. Here's what he says. This is from his biography. My nature is the most peaceful in all of the world. All I ask for is a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, some flowers in the front window, and a few trees beside my door. And then if God wanted me to make me completely happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle of six or seven of my enemies hanging from those trees. <laughs> I would forgive them all the wrongs they have done to me from the bottom of my heart, for we must forgive our enemies, but not until they are hanged. I'm glad you're laughing. You know, it's, it's not funny, but it's like, it's ugly, true to life. It's, it's just hard to forgive. It's just unnatural. You can tell when you have this problem. Some people call this problem bitterness, right? Nobody wants to say, I'm bitter, but here's things you might want to watch for. Watch for this. Watch for remembering fences against you. When you just keep coming back to your mind, then you know that they're still there. You're still kind of imagining your enemies dangling from the trees outside your little cottage. Or, or resentment. Or, or this one, you're plotting revenge or a payback or a talkback or something. But, but, the, but the two stories together, since Jesus has been forgiving and patient with you, then you should be forgiving and patient with others. Since he's forgiving and patient with you over and over again, then you should be forgiving and patient with others over and over again. It's what 2 Timothy says it this way, The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, and able to teach, and patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Maybe God will grant them repentance, you know. Uh, Colossians says it this way, and you're familiar with this, in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, as elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness. He's saying, be like me. Long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. For anyone, if anyone is a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. It's like, don't call yourself a follower of the one who's merciful and not be merciful yourself. And here's another one, and I can hear this ringing in my ears from my childhood. Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 1 let all bitterness and anger and clamor and wrath and evil speaking be put away from you with malice and be kind to one another and tender-hearted and, listen, forgiving one another even as Christ forgave you. There's again, third reference, as Christ forgave you. How do you forgive other people? Like Jesus forgave you. I can imagine, I can imagine forgiving someone. Well, wait a minute. Just don't forgive him then. Just forgive him as much as you want God to forgive you. Just your, your choice. Because in the end, that's the, way, that's the way it ends up. 
So the, the first scene is how much we are forgiven, and the second scene is how soon we forget. But there's a third scene. It's a little brief scene. It's kind of like the, the sentencing, if you will. It's ugly. It's not pretty. And that's how deep and dark is the dungeon of unforgiveness. Verses 34 and 35. So his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now that's chilling enough, but verse 35, Jesus leaves the story and he looks at them directly and he says something very frightening. It's no longer a little happy bedtime story, right? It's not, no longer kind of abstract, a story that could have to do with somebody. Now it's turning the corner and he looks them in the eyes at a fiery eyes and says, so my heavenly Father will do to you, each of you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What will he do to you? Verse 34 is like, what? What's verse 34 say? Deliver you to the torturers? At this point, you kind of want to understand, what does that mean, Lord? I'm like, if I'm Peter, I'm like, could could I ask one more follow-up question? Like, you have one question. What is torturers? What does this mean? If I've been forgiven a great debt, or if I say I have, and then I go demand from other people every little last thing from them, and I don't forgive them, God, Jesus is going to deliver me to the torturers until I've paid the last penny. I want to know what that means. Fiery torture. What is this? It could mean chastisement. It could mean hell. What does it mean? Well, we, know, we don't know from this text... We do know the rest of Scripture teaches that if a person is unforgiving, there will be chastisement that comes. I want to say this very carefully, so I wrote this down. So I'll read it to you word for word the way I wrote it. What are the torturers? Verse 24. 34. Let me say this strongly. What happened to that man will happen to each one of us unless we learn to forgive and forgive and forgive. What happened to that man will happen to us. What is it that happened to that man? The torturers will come and take us away if we don't extend forgiveness to those who've wronged us. What are the torturers? That's the question. The hidden, it could be this, that it could be chastisement or hell. Let me talk about chastisement. The hidden torturers of anger, of bitterness that eat our insides out. It's like breathing. You know, you can't breathe in mercy and breathe out hatred at the same time. You can't do it. You're breathing in mercy all the time. You can't be breathing out hatred. It doesn't work like that. You're doing one or the other. And so if you don't do that, then it messes you up. You know, if you don't forgive, it messes up you, not them. What is it they say? Bitterness is the poison you drink and expect to hurt other people. And, and so the torturers, it, you'll torture yourself. You'll hurt yourself if you don't forgive. You see this often in people, and then they have frustration and malice and ulcers and high blood pressure and migraine headaches and lower back pain and hidden tortures that make you lie awake at night stewing over every wrong that someone has done to you. The tortures of an unforgiving heart, they stalk you night and day. They never leave, leave your side. They suck the life out of you because you will not forgive from your heart. Your heart becomes dark and black and hard, and you don't want that. So you have the injury against you, but then you have the injury you did to yourself because you wouldn't forgive. You have both injuries now. You don't, Jesus is saying, don't. if you want to forgive, just think about how much I forgave you and forgive them the way I forgave you and always remember that. Now the man in the story didn't get that because he asked for time and not mercy. He says, give me a little bit of time shows this man had no idea how in debt he was. 
And that is why we often don't forgive other people, is because we feel like God owed us forgiveness. Of course, I'm basically a nice guy that's had a few slip-ups. Of course Jesus forgave me, because I'm basically a good guy that slipped a few times. Bad guy over there, he's really bad. No, you don't get it. You think you're basically a guy that Jesus kind of like found you, and you are going to make him look good, so he just polished you a little bit, and set you for like you're like a king of Siam? <laughs> That's not the way it works. Listen, I love the way, never forget the way John Greening described years ago at the conference. He said, remember this? I say it often because it's such a beautiful, it's such a powerful picture. Where did he find you? You know what I'm going to say, right? Floating face down in the cesspool of your depravity. And he's, he waded in and rescued you and gave you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. That's, that was awesome. That's, that's what he did. So then we look around at somebody else and we say, let me show you how this works. You know, Jesus found me way, late, face down, uh, unable to save myself in my depravity. I might have looked religious depravity. might have been immoral depravity. It might have been, you know, wealthy or poor, but, de- but unable to respond to God. And he waded in and he rescued me. John Owen, a Puritan, said it like this. I think he put it beautifully. Our forgiving another will not procure forgiveness for us, but our not forgiving others proves that we ourselves are not really forgiven. In other words, the last verse here, it might mean if you don't forgive, you're not going to be able to experience forgiveness and you're going to have chastisement. Here's what I think it really means, though. And that, that is true. Here's what I believe it really means based on the rest of Matthew and the trajectory of Matthew. If you say you're a Christian and, and you've received mercy from God, but you don't have mercy in your heart, you're kidding yourself and you're really not even a Christian yourself. Because people who are forgiven, they cannot not give mercy to other people because they have been given mercy. Here's the way, in the ESV study Bible, there's a note I thought was, was well-worded. A transformed heart must result in a changed life that offers the same mercy and forgiveness as been received from God. Someone who does not grant forgiveness to others shows his own heart has not experienced God's forgiveness. Since you have been to the cross, you know the way, so you can show other people the way to the cross. Forgiven people live with this continual consciousness and awareness that the burden of sin debt has been remitted and forgiven, that they've been offered amnesty. And so they have, a, they have a humble patience. Real Christian people are people with humble patience toward other people. Somebody says, will you forgive me? You have to say, yes, I will forgive you. You can't say, I will not forgive you. Because then you think, well, what are you going to do then? Are you going to crawl up and die on the cross for yourself? No, you don't have that choice. Jesus Christ, God's Son, took your sin on Him and died in your place if you're a believer. How can you ever to say to somebody else, I'm not going to forgive you? How can you do that? Because you didn't understand Calvary. You're on some kind of a moral reformation program. You're still trying to pay off the interest and penalties on your sin debt. You're on a religious kick, you know, and you think you're better than other people. That's not true. God forbid. When you won't forgive, that's kind of what you're saying. Four further insights from the stories. One, if you will not forgive, the ones nearest you will be the ones that get hurt. There are no throwaway pieces in Jesus' stories. There's a part in Jesus' story that I kind of always wondered about. I taught on this before. I left this part out because I didn't get it. Studying this week, it hit me. Early in the first story, what does he say? You're going to be sold and your wife and kids are going to be sold. Why did Jesus add that little piece in there? There are no throwaway pieces. Jesus doesn't stutter add things that don't need to be there. Every word of Jesus, he's perfect, so every word 
perfectly. And Matthew, the under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, accountant guy, got this right. Why did Jesus say, and your children, and your wife, and your children? Here, I think, is why. Because if you don't forgive, you're going to hurt yourself. We've already made that point, right? You're going to hurt yourself, but you're also going to hurt the people that you love the most in the world. You're going to hurt your wife, your husband, your kids. You're going to hurt them. They're going to prison with you. They're going on the auction block, too. You can't. That's another good reason to forgive. You know this is true. People that don't forgive, they kind of get this ugliness about them, and they, they hurt other people. The, and they hurt, the people they hurt are the people they live with, they go to church with. The, this is not the way it ought to be with those bitter people hurting other people. You don't want to be a person like that because you'll hurt other people. And then they'll have a problem, right? They have, that's one insight. I remember a guy that we used to pray for all the time. He left the church that I was a pastor at before I got there. But we always prayed for this guy because he was a dynamic guy and he was a, a wonderful man and everybody loved him and he was like deeply involved in the church and every time in the pastoral staff meetings we would get to this guy's name. And even though he didn't come to church when I was there, we would always pray for this man by name. And we say he was such a dynamic guy and I'd say, well, what happened? They said, well, he, you know, he, had a, he had a successful business and he loaned a large amount of money, a number of tens of thousands of dollars to another guy. And the guy just like didn't pay him back. He was a Christian. And he just he didn't pay him back. He didn't even try to pay him back. And that guy stopped going to church. And that guy, we can't get him back to, into church, can't get him back to serve. He was serving the Lord, he was, but he got bitter. He got hurt about that, that if a Christian is going to borrow money from me, he's not going to pay me back, I'm not going to go to church here anymore. You could not get that guy in the church. You meet him out in the community. He's a nice guy. If you'd have known him, you would have liked him. His, he didn't go, here's the sad part about that. I've often thought about this man, his children and his wife. Think of all the wonderful things they missed out on because he got bitter and wouldn't forgive. Think about all the spiritual needs that they had. Think of all the spiritual danger that they were in. Is it possible that if this man could simply have done for that other man what Jesus did for him, his wife and his kids and his grandkids and his neighbors and who all do you know that could have been helped if he hadn't allowed himself to become bitter? I wouldn't want to be that person. I don't want to be. I'm not going to be that person. Every time I have communion, I'm going to remind myself, Jesus, you've forgiven me everything. I, want, I love your mercy. I'm going to be one of your mercy shower type people. I'm not going to That's one insight. Second insight. If you won't forgive others, it shows that you didn't have an accurate understanding of your own debt. I already made this point, but in both of the stories, Jesus has the key person saying, give me time, instead of just forgive me. Right? The, the master then doesn't say, okay, I'll give you time. He says, you know, time wouldn't help him because he wouldn't be able to pay the huge debt. He forgives him. He gives him what he really needs instead of what he asked for. He asked for religion, the payment program. He gives him grace the redemption program, the mercy program. See, get this in your mind, as I mentioned before. Get this in your mind. When you're reluctant to forgive somebody else, you just need to go back and remember what a sinner you really are and how you were forgiven. Go back to the cross yourself. Then go back. And the third insight. If you won't forgive, then you're going to reduce or destroy your ministry and your testimony. If you won't forgive, you're going to reduce or destroy your ministry or your testimony. Here's where I got this from the text. It's like, notice in the text and you read that, how does the master find out that the guy demanded payment? The other people are going, hey, 
The fellow servants, the fellow they have the father. Hey, look what he had. It's not right. And so what happens is when you're bitter and you won't forgive, other people, other uh, your fellows are going to go, what? They're going to see it in you. They're going to say, that isn't right. Here's the guy always talking about Jesus forgiving him. Is the same guy with his fingers wrapped around the neck of this other guy. That, hey, hey. They're going to tell God. That's like prayer. Not to press the analogy too far, but they're going to, people are going to cry out to God, God, he's not being merciful to me. God's going to go, who's not being merciful? Ken Pierpont, that dude, I have forgiven him so much, he forgot he was drowning in the filth of his own sin. I'm going to remind him. <laughs> and then he's going to come over and say, Ken, hello. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. Nickel Mine, Pennsylvania, a few years ago. Deranged guy. It was a milk truck driver, remember that? He knew some Amish folk, and he goes and he, he had lost a child. He was deranged, he was messed up, probably messed up demonically, who knows. He goes in, he goes to an Amish school in Lancaster County. Lots of little boys go and he ties, ties up the ten little girls. He shoots ten, ten little girls. Five of them die. The innocent little Amish girls in an Amish school. So what do the Amish people do? We know they're weird, right? They drive horses and buggies. They don't use a phone. and They're, they're all messed up. They wear weird clothes. They're totally weird, right? <laughs> what do they do? They go to the guy's, the guy kills himself too, and they go to his funeral. They go to his dad and say, we know your son was troubled and we want you to know we forgive you and your family. They go to his widow and they start helping her. They give her things. They buy things for her. They tell her that, that, that she's included in the community. She doesn't have to leave the community in dishonor. She can stay and they'll take care of her. And they say to her, if you want to come and mourn at the funerals of our daughters, you can do that. We'll love you. We'll, make, we'll, we'll include you. Those weird Amish people, they don't know what they're doing, do they? No, they have a testimony, don't they? Of all the people that have it hard to have a testimony, I mean, it would be a hard religion to sell, right? Get rid of your car, your TV, your cell phone, your iPhone, your iPad, your i-everything. Are you kidding? No college football in the fall? I would not convert to this religion, people. No, sir. But they got something going for them, didn't they? Because they did what Jesus said. They went and forgave their enemies. The whole world just like didn't. They're like, how do you do that? Well, it's impossible. It's humanly impossible. And that's the fourth insight. You say, that's unnatural. Somebody shot my little girl. I have girls. This is pretty hard to imagine humanly. How could you ever? How could you ever? Well, that's the whole point. It's got to take a miracle. God has to be at work in you. You have to have God's Spirit working miracle after miracle for you to forgive. Forgiveness is unnatural. Forgiveness is unfair. Forgiveness is unlike us. (laughs) It's the one way you can tell if a person has really become a partaker of the divine nature. Because it's his nature to forgive, but it's not ours. If a person's forgiving, you're like, what in the world? They must have God in them. That's what you would say about these people. For them to do something like that is unnatural. It's impossible. Must be God at work. Now you have a testimony. Now you have a ministry. The people around you are going to see whether you're bitter or not. You may ask this one question. It may be a hang-up for you. What about if a person doesn't ask forgiveness? Do I still forgive them? Well, Jesus on the cross asked for forgiveness for people who weren't asking forgiveness yet. Peter, uh, Stephen, when he died, was asking for forgiveness for people who weren't asking forgiveness yet. And God, before you had the sense to ask for forgiveness, was at work in eternity, drawing you to himself. 
So what you do is if you prepare, if you have a heart of forgiveness, you can't, if somebody doesn't come and ask you for forgiveness, of course you can't forgive them if they don't even acknowledge that they're wrong. But you can, you can, the disposition of your heart could be to forgive them. And then you turn them over to the Lord and the Lord takes care of their sin because he's perfectly just and right and holy. But you're prepared to forgive them, every man, all the time, by the work of God in you. Now we're going to have a closing song. And I want to give you a chance to get in on the... Just think about this. There's an offer of forgiveness to all of us. And the way that you listen to the talk today, I can tell that most of you have already taken up that offer. I mean, you're already believers, and you, you, you are forgiven of your sin and your guilt and your shame and your sadness. But, but I'm thinking today there might be uh, a number here who would like to say, today I think I would really like to get in on that offer of mercy instead of payment program. And so today as we close, and this song is being sung, here we'll have a, like a secret signal. It was kind of an open secret signal. You come and take my hand. That will be your way of communicating to me. You want somebody to pray with you, explain the gospel to you, and help you to get saved and know that you're right with God and you're forgiven. And that's, that's one. You take my hand. And, and some of you, it, it's meaningful for you to kneel here. There's a step left from, uh, that, that you could just come and forward and kneel. And for some, for some of you, that's very meaningful. And you maybe need to do because you've got a bad hurt. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or a terrible sexual sin against you or just a t- hard, terrible thing. And maybe that person still needs to be held responsible for what they did, but you're going to not continue to live in the sewer of bitterness and hurt the people around you and destroy your testimony and do something unchristlike. but you're going to say, I'm going to release and forgive them. And maybe it would be helpful for some of you because this is so dramatic and hard to come forward and just to kneel here and to talk to the Lord. You can talk where you are, of course. Talk on the way home. But I know for many it's meaningful while we're still meeting just to come and we're going to think about the cross and think about, the, uh, about Calvary. And while we're doing that, if you, if you want counsel to be saved, come to me. And if you want to come and pray and, and, and forgive someone, then come and kneel. Would you stand together while the song is being sung?